This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in sunny Newport Beach, Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And uh, it's actually sunny here in Massachusetts for a change today, and I, and I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Well, Bob, today we're going to be talking about something that is a hot topic. In, it's got corporate America on notice with recent criminal and civil charges against one company and loads of scrutiny on others. It's all a buzz in the world of corporate governance, and we'll be talking about backdating stock option grants. Uh, uh, we're going to introduce our guest in just a moment, but we're going to borrow uh, borrow from something he said in terms of defining what backdating is. And he said that backdating is an option grant. Um, looking back in hindsight, typically over a year or a month period, and retroactively choosing a date when the company's stock price was at a low point and then setting that date as the date to grant and price the option. So in other words, we're talking about cherry-picking a date where the stock price is more favorable without proper disclosure, and it's something the SEC uh, is looking into. There are some big names involved in this discussion, such as Apple, Microsoft, Home Depot, and they're being looked at for potential stock option grant backdating. That's a mouthful. But there are likely thousands of other companies that may be doing it either intentionally or because they just have sloppy corporate practices. Well, our guest today is uh, somebody who's becoming one of the, the go-to lawyers on this subject. He's been quoted in several media reports, and uh, it's it's part of his practice. Uh, his name is Stephen R. Barth. He's a partner with Foley Lardner in Milwaukee. Uh, he's uh, a member of that firm's transactional and securities practice and provides sophisticated legal advice on issues most important to public and private companies, including all aspects of merger and acquisition transactions, securities matters, reporting compliance, corporate counseling, and other transactional and securities issues. He has represented issuers or underwriters in some 40 public offerings, raising over $4.1 billion, and he currently represents a number of publicly traded companies. Uh, he's a frequent speaker on these matters, and uh, as I say, he's been quoted in a number of media reports. Welcome to the program, Steve. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, Steve, one of the questions that we had um, just kind of as a foundational one is, as I understand it, a stock option allows the holder to buy shares at some point in the future for a fixed price. The cost of the option is typically based on the stock's price the day the option is granted. seems to me that, you know, there's some argument on both sides of this. Is backdating really illegal or is it just more about disclosure and accounting? That's a great question, Craig. I, it, technically, Backdating is not illegal per se from a lawyer's point of view, but, but here's the rub. If backdating was done intentionally, then it almost always is illegal because, first of all, the, the option plan pursuant to which the options were granted probably didn't allow the granting of discounted options, that is, options that were below the market price on the date of the real grant. Um, and the ability to, to grant discounted options was, was not clearly disclosed to the shareholders either when the shareholders approved that option plan or in subsequent proxy statements when 
the, the company's uh, option granting uh, practices were disclosed to shareholders. And so, you know, therefore, the, the option grants likely uh, weren't accounted for correctly as a compensation expense in the year of grant, which would uh, result in overstated earnings, depending upon how material those uh, that, that backdating problem is, that could result in a, and has resulted at many companies in, in very significant restatements of earnings. Uh, and uh, in those cases, many of those options weren't cr uh, correctly taxed, uh, and uh, documents may have been falsified, and the intent of the, uh, of the board or the comp committee likely wasn't followed. So when you put all that together, if you have intentional backdating going on, I'd be very hard-pressed to find a situation where it wasn't illegal. The, the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, said last week that it has some 100 investigations going on about backdating right now, and, and apparently that's up from about 75 just a month earlier. Uh, why is this so much an issue right now, and what's brought this to the forefront at the SEC? Well, it, it, it has been, um, I would say, not at the forefront, but at least at the middle front, for the last year or so as individual cases of backdating came to the fore. But then on March 18th in the Wall Street Journal, there was an, uh, an article that cited some research that was performed by Professor Eric Lai out of the University of Iowa, who reviewed almost 6,000 CEO stock option grant awards from 1992 to 2002. And the professor found uh, abnormal returns from various stock option grants at some big companies, United Health, Converse, ACS, Brooks Automation, and a bunch of others. And so once uh, that uh, hit the press, so to speak, the SEC, along with, uh, with the entire investing uh, public, was very aware um, uh, that you know, on the radar screen it was like a nuclear warhead. So at that point in time, given the huge uh, investor uproar that was generated by that article, the SEC moved it from the middle burner to the front burner. How does the how did the professor go about spotting the backdating? I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I you know get corporate disclosures all the time and proxy statements and so forth, and I know a lot of corporate transactional lawyers are going to cringe at this, but I don't read them. <laughs> Well, that's not surprising, believe me. But what the professor did, uh, they did a statistical uh, review and analysis of the returns on you know, various stock option grants uh, to CEOs at, uh, at a broad base of 6,000 companies. And what he found was that in many cases, that those, uh, the returns on those options uh, were you know, something that was statistically almost impossible. You know, we were talking about um, grant dates being timed so that that would only occur by accident once every billion times, or, and numbers like that that were so statistically abnormal to show that there must have been intentional uh, actions taken to go back and uh, consciously pick a low point over a year or a month previously in the stock price in order to generate those abnormal stock returns on those grants. So based on that statistical analysis, then uh, people could dig into those actual grants and see exactly what was done in order to time those option grants so perfectly and obviously not, you know, not, not coincidentally. The, the, the extent to which uh, these grants are being uh, given to CEOs is really kind of just the, the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? I mean, the, 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 real more, the more pervasive practice is, is that of, of CEOs and executives giving it to sort of mid-level uh, executives as an incentive to get them to come into the company. 
Sure, and, and that we've seen that in, in a number of cases, and particularly in the brocade case, where the argument is, look, you know, even though in that case, uh, you know, the CEO, uh, Greg Reyes, and uh, his uh, human resource VP, uh, Stephanie Jensen, were, were the ones that are subject to the, to the criminal indictment, yet their defense is, hey, look, you know, we didn't personally benefit from these uh, stock option backdating uh, grants that that we initiated, it was you know a broad base of other employees, and we just did it for the good of the company, because in Silicon Valley it, it was so uh, competitive that we had to grant options that were in the money in order to attract the best and the brightest employees. And hey, that was a good thing for the company, not a bad thing for the company. And, and so, how pervasive is this? And is this uh, is this largely a high tech industry phenomenon, or is this uh, going across industry lines? I think it's very, very heavily weighted in the high tech industry. There is no doubt about it. Uh, Silicon Valley and other high tech companies, whether located there or elsewhere, uh, have always relied very heavily on stock option grants as a, as a, you know, one of the principal methods of compensating. Uh, their employees, because in gen, you know gen, generally they they don't have they're they're not as well established. They don't have as many cash reserves in order to grant cash bonuses. And the fact of the matter is that in the valley, you know, equity is king. It is uber alles, and um, options were the name of the game. And that is what attracted um, all of the uh, of the highest quality uh, employees. Now, did it happen at other companies? Yes, it did. Um, at, at a surprisingly large number, I, I have seen numbers that have been bandied about that maybe 2,000 or more companies have engaged in some form of backdating, whether or not it was intentional or just by accident or sloppiness. We don't know, and that's what a number of these investigations are intended to ferret out. Is the investigation going to be based on uh, the type of statistical analysis that the University of Iowa professor did? And so kind of a side question to that is, do you think that the SEC will be prosecuting this on a pervasive basis, or do you think they're going to pick a Charles Keating and call it a day? Uh, I, I think they certainly have started picking statement cases. Brocade was a statement case. Uh, they want to come out with all guns blazing, even in a case that's not exactly you know a, a slam dunk where uh, you know they didn't have the CEO backdating for his own, allegedly for his own personal benefit. But they want to make a statement case, and they will do that, and I think it will be pervasive. I think it already is at 100 companies, and I think that number is going to continue to grow. Uh, it has hit the radar screen at all levels of the SEC, not just enforcement, but also public disclosure uh, uh, in the Division of Corporate Finance, where uh, the new executive compensation rules for public companies were held up by several weeks in order so that new rules could be written uh, for every public company to disclose their stock option granting practices. So um, I, I believe we are going to see the 100 companies under current investigation grow and grow significantly, and I think the Justice Department and the SEC is going to continue to bring uh, litigation in in the most egregious cases, but certainly in the current cases, they want to make a very strong statement. Well, I read that the U.S. Attorney in Northern California has actually created an, a backdating task force within his office. Yes. Uh, so, what should be what should companies be doing right now, uh, whether uh, whether they are inve under investigation or not? I mean, let's start with those that are not. I mean. How should companies respond to this, and are companies responding to this in your experience? Well, they, they, every single public company must undergo some type of self-audit of their past stock option granting practices. In many cases, 
we have found and we would have expected that to be a fairly simple process. But in other cases, it is not going to be so straightforward and uh, independent counsel or forensic accountants will need to be brought in to evaluate uh, past stock option granting practices to see if there uh, is a potential problem or an actual problem. And uh, if, if the companies themselves are not going through that self-audit, it will be forced upon them um, at you know either through their auditors or, uh, or or by the SEC being there to help, or the Justice Department being there to help, or or by institutional investors, or by DNO insurance carriers, or or commercial banks, or other financing sources. So it is something that boards of directors at public companies and audit committees at public companies absolutely must get out in front of, even if even if and hopefully to prove a negative. Ultimately, who's going to be on the firing line in this scandal? Is it uh, are, are general corporate counsel going to be up there? Is it going to be accountants, uh, accounting firms? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, I think you know the front firing line on this is probably compensation committees um, who had the oversight responsibility for granting options. Uh, then it is going to, to you know, flow down the line to the CEO and the general counsel's office. And yes, you are right. Auditors are very nervous about this because arguably they should have done more work in many cases to determine whether or not there was a backdating problem and whether or not documents were forged or intentionally backdated. And could some statistical analysis have been done on a year-by-year basis by the auditors to determine, hey, something's kind of strange about these options. I mean, gee whiz, in 1997, option grants were in January, and that was at a low point for 1997. But 1998, they were granted in November, and that was a low point. Gee whiz, something's not quite right about that. Why, why, were, you know, why was our audited company granting options at differential dates that weren't scheduled in advance and, all, and just coincidentally you know, lined up with a stock price low or a stock price dip? And so, sure, auditing, auditing firms are very concerned about whether or not they will be held responsible and liable for some of these situations. I know you cited the professor at, at the University of Iowa's uh, publication what was the real tipping point for him i mean how did how did someone who's a professor at uh, a public school in the middle of the country find out about this well i, I it, my understanding is that he um was uh, there had been some prior work on stock option granting practices and and now i forget who the Ekam edition was who had done it previously, but uh, uh, I think Professor Lai studied under that person at a different university and was fascinated by the work and had realized that um, there hadn't been any updated work on that topic done for a decade or so. And you know, given given I think the the focus of uh, the public on executive compensation and CEO compensation, that it it certainly and and knowing how large option you know, gains can be in the corporate world. I think that was a topic that he thought that, geez, if I could update this here and find out exactly, you know, why are, you know, why are some uh, option games, uh, option gains so abnormally large? I thought he, I'm sure he thought that there would be a market for that research, and there certainly was. What are the numbers here? What kind of dollars are we looking at in terms of the scope of this? Billions, billions, already billions. Steve, the uh, SEC came out with uh, 
new regulations this summer uh, on executive compensation. How do those uh, address this issue, if at all? Oh, they they directly address it. In fact, they were uh, those new regulations were held up for several weeks uh, as the SEC scrambled to make sure that. Um, their new disclosure rules on executive compensation were addressing every public company's practices on granting options. And so the new rules have a, 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 a very significant number of required disclosures that address um, how a company grants options, when they grant them, how they choose that date of grant, um, how they value the option, how they determine the exercise price, uh, who makes those determinations? Is there a delegate? Is there ability to delegate authority from the board or comp committee to management? How many members are on uh, uh, either the comp committee? Because there have been problems with comp committees being, uh, you know, just having one uh, member on them in order to make a decision, and uh, and whether or not there has been any. Um, self-audit or investigation into past practices to determine whether or not there's been a problem. So they are extensive new rules on every single public company's stock option granting practices that now will start appearing in every annual meeting proxy statement beginning next spring. Why wasn't this cut under Sarbanes-Oxley? Well, Sarbanes-Oxley did catch it, uh, quite frankly. Um, or, or at least let's put it this way. It did address the problem, even though they didn't realize they were addressing it. Um, Sarbanes-Oxley changed the time period for reporting option grants. Um, prior to August uh, of 2002, option grants only, need to be, only needed to be publicly reported once a year, and that typically was 45 days after the end of a company's fiscal year, which in for calendar year companies was in mid-February. So um, option grants could have taken place in January um, or, or December, but yet they didn't have to be reported to the following you know, February. Uh, because of the laxity of those reporting rules, it allowed companies to sit there on January 1 of the, uh, of the next year and say, hey, let's go back and look at how our stock did over the prior calendar year. And OG whiz, we noticed that in May, uh, on May 15th, we had a stock price low. Let's go back and grant all of our options as of May 15. And so then, you know, they still complied with their reporting obligations on that February 15th. And so they, they met their reporting obligations, but they were allowed to look back over an entire year in order to determine when the when the stock price low was. With with Sarbanes Oxley, after August of 2002, option grants had to be reported within two business days of the grant date. So uh, unless you didn't file the form, you really don't have much of an ability to go back, or any real ability to go back and, you know. Uh, over a prior time period and pick a stock uh, stock low point. So um, option backdating became much, much harder after the implementation of, of Sarbanes-Oxley, even though no one knew that that was going to be a result of that new rule. But if, if it's harder, it's harder under Sarbanes-Oxley, it's, it's going to be uh, at least uh, more rigidly uh, reported under the new SEC uh, regulations. Uh, but, but from what I hear you saying, the practice isn't necessarily going to stop. Is that right? Well, I think certainly it has stopped now. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, did it stop immediately after uh, August of 2002? No. Um, I think we have found and others have found that still 20% of all option grants weren't reported on a timely basis 
So if people were intentionally backdating, I'm sure that they had no problem intentionally filing the form late and still picking a date that was favorable you know, for, from an option grant uh, standpoint. So uh, was backdating still prevalent uh, after August of, of 2002? I think it was, not, maybe not to the extent it was before that. I would say now if someone's backdating, <laughs> I, I, I mean, let's get their bail bond card refreshed. Okay, well, hold that thought. We're going to uh, take a short break. Stay with us, and we'll have some more thoughts from Steve Barth of Foley and Lardner. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. Today on Coast to Coast, we're talking about backdating and backdating of stock option grants. We're joined by Steve Berth, partner at Foley and Lardner in Milwaukee. Uh, Welcome back, Steve. Steve, let me uh, ask you, we've talked about uh, government uh, investigations and, and government charges being filed in these cases. What about the plaintiffs' lawyers out there, the, the plaintiffs' lawyers who handle securities matters? Have there been suits filed? Are there likely to be suits filed? And what are the grounds? Oh, they are having a field day. It's a cottage industry. This is the best <laughs> thing that happened to them all year. <laughs> um, I, I know that there have been uh, well in excess of 70, maybe 80 uh, civil suits filed by plaintiff law firms. Um, Smelling blood in the water and uh, and diving in. And, and what are they alleging? I mean, what are their what are the grounds for their bringing these suits? Well, principally, they are alleging false disclosures, and the disclosures, uh, uh, the, the the allegations relate to overstated financial statements. Because had the options been 
accounted for correctly, that is, if they were discount options, they should, discounted options, they should have been uh, recognized as a compensation expense in the year of grant, and therefore earnings should have been lower because of those compensation expenses. Therefore, uh, the allegations are that earnings were overstated, uh, stock prices were overstated as a result of relying on falsified financial statements. And, uh, and, and that's, the, that's the crux of their argument. Now, there are about 20 other bases upon which they can also lay their hat. I mean, uh, you know, everything from, you know, breach of fiduciary duty and, you know, fundamental unfairness, you know, things that are squishy but sound good and play very well in the media and have gotten lots of play in the media, to more technical violations of the securities laws. Does the fact that, the, that, these, uh, that these backdating options may have been good for the company in the long run, does that come into play in the defense at all? Well, uh, a, a number of at least pundits have made that argument, and in fact, I have seen at least some uh, defense lawyers make that argument as well on behalf of their clients, and the argument goes something like this. Look, um, that backdating was good for the company because uh, it uh, it uh, it helped to generate the retention uh, and recruitment of high-quality employees who were necessary for the growth of the company. Without backdating those options, those employees would not have been able to have been hired or retained, which would have been to the detriment of the company and the shareholders. And oh, by the way, backdating an option is just a compensation decision. It's not paying cash out of the company itself. The cash is going to be generated by increasing stock returns and is going to be uh, generated through ultimately selling that stock um, or, or the option uh, you know, in the marketplace. So it's not cash out of the company. It's not coming out of the shareholder's pocket. And moreover, some have said backdating was good because if you grant uh, discounted options that are already in the money, that means you are going to grant fewer numbers of options, and that is good from a dilution standpoint to shareholders. So those are all of the reasons that uh, people have um, have put forth uh, to say that option backdating is okay. In fact, I would tell you, and I think you probably know, that one of the, an SEC commissioner wasn't too troubled by option backdating, and that was Commissioner Atkins. Now, he was really addressing spring-loading more than backdating, but he still seemed uh, pretty amenable to the, to the concept that backdating was necessary from an employee recruitment and retention standpoint. But you don't buy that, it sounds like. Well, it's, it, if it was intentionally done, uh, it is, um, and, and while I certainly understand that it was like in Silicon Valley, it was, it was the game du jour, and it was like you know, driving fast on the freeway. Yes, it was against the law, but everybody did it, and if you didn't do it, you were at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, but, uh, but, but tell it to the judge and the jury, and I, I think it's going to be a tough one to win on. Some of the companies in Silicon Valley have uh, made statements in the media that the SEC is looking back as far as 1990. How, yes. long, how far back is the long arm of the law likely to go? It has. It doesn't have much of a limit. Uh, I will. It is a very, very long arm with very long sleeves, and uh, I, I don't think it probably goes back uh, beyond 1990-ish. Uh, but it certainly is going back 15 plus years. There's no doubt about it. Very long look back period. And what's the remedy here? I mean, these are people going to these employees that got these backdated stock options going to be forced to disgorge their profits, or is the company going to be liable to make up the profits? What is the SEC going to require? Oh, that is a great question, and it, it really is one that every single company that has a backdating problem is struggling with. 
Uh, obviously, uh, no surprise, a lot depends on the facts uh, of the backdating situation. Um, who, who did the backdating? You know, was it the board? Was it a legitimate compensation committee? Was it management? Who benefited from the backdating? You know, was it management to management? Were they, were they line, were, were, you know, executives lining their own pockets or were they in fact backdating for the benefit of a broader base of employees to their own self-exclusion? Uh, what, you know, was it accidental, just administrative sloppiness here or was it, you know, was it something that, that was, was truly egregious and intentional. And depending upon where you fall uh, on, on that range of alternatives, I mean, punishment uh, will be anywhere from, you know, long prison terms and very significant fines to, you know, disgorgement of, of past profits to repricing options to when they should have been dated, that is, you know, repricing them and taking away that discounted aspect of the option. Uh, termination of employment uh, for for those responsible for you know uh, backdating the options. Um, that the SEC certainly, in egregious cases, is going to be looking at uh, barring responsible directors and officers from serving in that capacity, not only at that their current company but other public companies. Uh, and watch out this proxy season because if you were a member of a compensation committee. Uh, and you had a backdating problem, even if it was administrative sloppiness, you will be targeted by uh, ISS and other institutional shareholder firms for a withhold vote. And uh, statements are going to be made here that uh, that is it was such egregious, uh, you know, corporate governance oversight that those compensation committee members should be voted off a board. What is ISS? Uh, institutional shareholder services. Uh, they are an organization. That uh, is is hired by many institutional shareholder firms, pension funds, and and mutual funds and the like, uh, to uh, analyze corporate governance practices at public companies in which those institutional investors have invested money. Steve, what's your role in all of this? How does your practice fit into this whole issue? Well, in, in two respects. I mean, number one. Uh, you know, let let's make sure that all of our clients and friends have have gone back to uh, initiate their own self audit to hopefully prove that they don't have a problem. But if they do have a problem, then we need to dig in and determine you know how extensive of a problem was it, what happened, and what do we do to fix that problem. And that's a, that's an extensive process in in those limited cases. On the flip side of it, you know. Um, we like to be providing and have provided the same advice, whether it was last year before the scandal or this year after the scandal, about what what are proper stock option granting practices and what should public companies be doing going forward from a best practices standpoint. And and you know we've we've been very adamant about that advice again, both before and after the scandal. Well, Steve, we'd like to. Uh, we're just about out of time for our show today. We'd like to get your final thoughts and also to get your contact information so our listeners can get a hold of you in case they run into a backdating stock option problem that they need your help with. Sure, sure. Well, um, uh, my uh, telephone number is 800 558 1548. I'm at extension 5662, or email is sbarth, that's S B A R T H, at Foley which is F-O-L-E-Y dot com. Um, also, uh, I am the chairperson of uh, a national director institute uh, that is uh, put on annually along with the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and the National Association of Corporate Directors, Deloitte & Touche, and 
UBS and, and a number of other firms where we focus on uh, cutting-edge corporate governance issues uh, that uh, boards of public, private, and nonprofit companies are facing. Uh, obviously, option granting practices has been on that list and will be on it. Uh, that, uh, that institute will be held March 8th uh, next year in Chicago, and uh, information can be found on our website at foley-ndi.com. Well, Steve, we're going to date this program to sometime last year, but uh, we appreciate your having been on it and giving us the time, and it's been very interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob and Craig. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Steve. And, Craig, I guess we will talk again next week. Unless we backdate next week to this week, and then we'll be sometime in the future. And then we'll need a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.